You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There are just seven days remaining in the NBA regular season. The play-in tournament starts a week from tomorrow, 12 days from the start of the playoffs. All the big questions we've been asking all season long, all of our cumulative utterings of if they're healthy will finally come to bear when we actually get to the postseason. But first, the play-in tournament. But first, all of these games that are going to help decide who plays whom and what those matchups are going to look like. And, and as we're getting into this last week, there are three teams up for me and three teams down. I'll get into that now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Solo tonight, no Fitz. I don't think he's cheating on me with another show, but I really can never be sure. So if you spot him elsewhere... In another slot, as I like to say, he's always cheating on me with slots. Just let me know. Snap a photo, get some audio. You know, if you spot Fitz cheating on me right now, go ahead and slide into my DMs. Let me know. It's supposed to be Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. But you got solo Spain tonight and lots of guests joining me to get into a whole bunch of stuff. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to start with the NBA because so much action this weekend left us with a lot still up in the air in this last week of competition. And there are a couple teams that I'm feeling pretty good about, and they just made me feel better this weekend with some of what went down. And one of those is the Sixers. You look at the clear number one in the East, having won eight straight games. And over that streak, they're holding their opponents to just over 100 points per 100 possessions. Uh, This is the best defense, the highest ranked defense. Statistically, the Sixers have had in the 25 seasons for which there has been play-by-play data to allow them to rank defenses the way they do now. So even if they end up being second in the East, this is still a stacked team defensively compared to what they've come into postseasons with before. And we know offensively, maybe not quite as uh, much of a guarantee for them, but when Joel Embiid is on the floor, they are, I think, fourth best uh, points per 100 possessions offensively as long as they've got Embiid out there. They're 26-4 and four with that full starting lineup. The only loss against an East Conference opponent in that 26-4 and four was when the starting lineup uh, – was just struggling and, 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 you know, they were outscored by 28 points um, with the bench out. Um, so this is a team that seems to dominate the East 15 and zero at home against the East as well. So um, they did all the things they needed to do to just reconfirm how I feel about them coming out of the East. This is a team that nobody wants to meet as much as we've spent time talking about the Nets, because those personalities, the Sixers are far and away the most consistent and solid, the least amount of questions for that team as the end of the season approaches. The Jazz is another team that has a lot of questions and yet is still managing to do extremely well with real big question marks for Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Mike Conley's got the hamstring issue. Donovan Mitchell uh, set to be reevaluated in a week from Friday uh, for the sprained right ankle. And so this is a team that's really going to benefit from having the extra couple days of not being in the play-in tournament. Um, Without those two guys, without the starting backcourt, they've still won five straight uh, to take back that first place from the Suns. And uh, Bogdanovich has just been out of his mind, 30 points Average in that stretch on 60% shooting had 48 against Denver in that game on Friday. So their offense, even without Mitchell has been playing better than ever. And even with those guys out, they are still the only team in the top five in both offense and defensive efficiency. So this is a team that statistically and based on the eye test all season long 
feels so good uh, and has yet those questions that we have for some of these teams that haven't been perennial playoff superstars, which is do it in the postseason, right? Um, but if they stay where they are in the top five in offensive and defense efficiency, it would be just the third team in the last 25 years to do that. And the other two, both of which were Warriors teams, went on to win the title. I don't know if I'm going to go that far for the Jazz, but the Jazz have me feeling very confident. It's Sarah Spain, Solo Spain tonight, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. The other team I'm feeling better about, just better, because Friday night's loss to the Blazers was a huge blow. But the Lakers, because there's optimism now about LeBron James. They expect to have him back um, and, you know, feeling like a return tomorrow night versus the Knicks is likely. He's played less than 60 minutes, 59 minutes over the last seven weeks. Um, which is got to get him back out there and get him moving. Meanwhile, Anthony Davis, who struggled and looked like he was getting re-injured in that first trip back, now has put together back-to-back spectacular games, 78 points, 24 boards, 10 assists, 3 seals, and 4 blocks in the last two games. Anthony Davis playing like that has a lot of teams scared in the West, particularly those who worked really hard to get great seeds and now look like they might have to face the Lakers. Early on, that's the prize you get for that great seed is Anthony Davis playing like he has. Here he is on the team staying positive despite getting sucked into that playing tournament. I think the positive sign is that, you know, we don't have everyone back. So we're definitely, you know, looking at it from that perspective that we're missing Coos, missing DS, we're missing Braun. We're not at full strength and we're in games. You know, Braun wasn't himself, the games that he played, and he's getting back to his old self. And when DS comes back and Coos comes back, we're at full strength and we know the team that we can be. So, I think we're just staying positive and, and, you know, as we play the right way and see the ball go through the rim and see us getting stops, our team get very confident and we can only imagine when we get our all our players back, the team that we can be. So the optimism of Anthony Davis is good and certainly based on his performance and based on the fact that they could end up facing a Suns team that they just beat and he just had a spectacular game against. But they've got two back-to-backs, a Tuesday-Wednesday at home and then road Saturday-Sunday Um, because the Blazers have a real tough last couple games, they could still make it into the top six and end up facing likely the Clippers in in the first round of the postseason instead of the plan. But the plan is still a probability for the Lakers. And Brian Windhorst talked about even with LeBron coming back, we don't know what percentage we'll have of him. And so their defense, what has been the top defense in the league, even without their stars, is going to have to really step up. When LeBron came back last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, um, He was running okay, and he was going back and forth okay, but when he went to push off that right leg, he had no spring, no energy. And so much of his offense is created by leveraging his size on his defender. He gets you on his hip, puts you in position, and the next thing you know, you got an and one. And he's going to end up having to shoot a lot. So what that's going to mean is that the Lakers are going to have to really defend. Um, And their defense this whole year has been awesome. They were number one when uh, AD got hurt. They were number two in the 30 games that he was out. And then when LeBron was out with AD for a month, they were number four. But since those, since the AD has come back, they have slipped way back. Even last night, as good as that win was and as great as Anthony Davis was, they allowed 54% shooting. I don't know how healthy LeBron is going to be. I don't know uh, whether they're going to hit their three-pointers because when they do, they're a different team. Last night, they hit them. But I do know they can control their defense. And so they have got to defend at the bubble level. And then if it's a 75% LeBron or an 80% or a 70 76.4%. They have a better chance of getting through the play-in and having a shot in the in the uh, first round, whoever they play. 
Yeah, they certainly do. I, I'm not as big a fan of a 76.4% LeBron, though. That's where I get worried. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Going to speed you through the three down. I spent a lot of time on the three that I'm up on very quickly. The three that I'm down on, the Blazers. This is surprising because they're 7-1 and one in their last eight games. But listen to what they have to do down the stretch here. They host Houston tonight, so no biggie there. But then they finish against the Jazz, Suns, and Nuggets. And they currently have an 0-9 record against the top four teams in the West. They've allowed more than 125 points per 100 possessions against those teams. So I'm a little concerned about the stretch run for the Blazers and how that sets them up. The Suns, again, great team. One of the three teams in the league that's in the top seven on both of the ends of the floor. They have the best record um, in games against the 16 teams currently over 500. They have the second best record in games against what we consider sort of the quote-unquote best in the league. The East's top three, the West's top four, plus the Lakers. Um, Lakers, by the way, have the worst record against the top eight. Brooklyn has the best within the group against the best eight in the league. So the second best, and all of those things are positive. But what we just saw against the Lakers and what we know about this team They have great pull-up shooters. They depend a lot on outside shooting. They have no size, though. Besides DeAndre Ayton, they don't have anybody to body in there. And so Anthony Davis scored 33 of his 42 points in the paint or at the free throw line in that victory last night. So I am very concerned for the Suns if they end up finding themselves looking at a Lakers team in the first, uh, first round of the playoffs. Finally, the Warriors. Again, Steph Curry heating up, so fun to watch. Really what they're doing is gravy because there's nobody around Steph to help. Um, But they are sitting in eighth right now, and they begin the last week of the season hosting the first-place Jazz tonight, the second-place Suns tomorrow, and then they get two uh, days off before they host the Pelicans on Friday. And then uh, if they're within a game of the Grizzlies, either way, their game on Sunday will end up be a fight for eighth place. So a tough spot for some of these teams fighting for position with really tough stretches uh, as the season comes to an end. We'll get to Ramona Shelburne a little bit later in the show, have her dissect if she agrees with me on some of these who's up, who's down. Uh, But coming up, I know who's down, and it was a whole bunch of people that had a really terrible weekend. So if you had a bad day, bad weekend, I can make you feel better comparatively to these folks. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Ow! You love to see it. He's not even here to defend himself or giggle like a wee young lad. Jason Fitz just getting roasted by the rejoin. I need some proof about this dad who was a great chess player. And also, if you play the best game when you engage with your pawns, then where are you tonight? I being the most important pawn in your life. Here you are probably cheating on me with another slot again. Just just uh, unthinkable stuff. Good stuff from Stash there, though, on the rejoin. Queen's Gambit. If you didn't watch it, fantastic. Check it out. Even if you don't like chess, and you'll learn what a gambit is, amongst other things. It's Spain and Fit, Solo Spain tonight. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guest going to join me on the Goodyear Hotline tonight. Lots to get into with the NWSL and WNBA season starting NHL playoffs, MLB news, all sorts of good stuff coming up. But first, I wanted to make anyone who had a rough weekend or maybe just a rough Monday feel better by uh, comparatively offering up some folks who certainly had a worse couple days than you did. I can almost guarantee it. Um, this is just a collection of people who who really hope that the rest of the week gets better. And, and it starts with the winner of the Kentucky Derby, which, by the way, uh, if this uh, ends up being something where Medina Spirit is not the winner anymore, uh, I picked the winner because I did on Around the Horn, say that Mandaloon was going to win a uh, close second place and would be named the winner if the investigation into Medina Spirit 
holds on and proves true, uh, Bob Baffert's horse uh, now uh, alleged to have a detectable amount of betamethasone in the horse's body. It's legal, but must be out of the horse's system at least 14 days before a race. Bob Baffert, the famous trainer, face of the sport, is appealing the positive test. Uh, as of right now, Medina Spirit still heading to Preakness, hoping to be able to race if they can uh, clear the horse's name, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if the horse's name is the one that's really uh, struggling right now, but Baffert certainly is. Uh, if they can clear it, uh, then uh, Medina Spirit would be able to race in the Preakness. But the problem, of course, here is not just uh, a horse, but that it is the fifth horse for Baffert to have uh, had a failed drug test in just over a year. Uh, And it is the same kind of drug that was found in another Baffert-trained horse, Gamion, who finished third in the Kentucky Oaks last year before being disqualified for that test. Uh, There was an expert today on KJZ, Jerry Bailey, from NBC Sports Thoroughbred Thoroughbred Racing uh, Analysis, and uh, he had this to say about what a coincidence it all is. Of the other 18 horses that ran in the Kentucky Derby, everybody else was clean. And it is strange that this keeps happening to Bob Baffert. I don't have the answer. There's been different reasons uh, out of the Baffert camp for all these different positives, but it's it's in a, it's it's kind of unfortunate that it keeps happening to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't connect the dots, but I'll let your public connect the dots. Now. If you're wondering why it matters to someone like me, who, first of all, hates horse racing, and secondly, partly hates it because uh, human beings decide that they can just inject steroids and other substances into horses that don't have any say in the matter or get to say whether they want to race, it's only being brought up in part because the owner, Bob Baffert, the Hall of Fame trainer, is saying that cancel culture is to blame for his horse getting drug tested. His horse got canceled. I'm not a conspiracy therapist. Right. He's saying his horse got canceled. I can't. I can't with this. All right, moving on. Another another person who having much less funny but terrible weekend. Jacob Degrom. First of all, the guy can't get any help. Right? He's got a major league best .68 ERA, sixty five strikeouts, two uh, Ks behind Trevor Bauer for the lead, and uh, seven walks in forty innings over six starts. So just the six starts and all those statistics, crushing it. And ends up on the IR. Uh, this is uh, tightness in his right side. Won't be on the mound again until May 20th at the earliest. The MRI was clean, which is good. But they are still uh, placing him on the injured list retroactive to Monday just in case. Uh, he had to take himself out of the outing against Arizona after uh, discomfort in his lat. So this guy who's just been spectacular, dominating the game, now injury strikes. Um, and in addition to that, we've been talking about the Mets just being weird in general, which they, they tend to be. Uh, but they had that invisible uh, Donnie Stevenson hitting instructor who popped up just days before they fired their real hitting coaches. And now they have an invisible rat slash possum slash raccoon. Uh, the acting GM, and you remember, of course, they also have an acting GM because they had to fire their GM. It, it, it's, anyway, more Met stuff. Uh, but Zach Scott, the acting GM, said it was a bigger story than it needed to be that there was allegedly a critter spotted in the clubhouse tunnel when, in fact, it was just that Lindor and McNeil were fighting. And instead of coming clean and saying they had a little dust up, they decided to concoct a story in which they saw a critter in the clubhouse tunnel and Lindor said it was a rat and McNeil forgot to check with them and he said it was a raccoon or a possum and all sorts of other people admitted that it was just a fight. So the Mets, inventing hitting coaches, inventing critters, and now their very best player to the injured list. Not a great couple days for the Mets. Uh, As far as I know, they haven't 
accidentally lit on fire any minor league stadiums due to fireworks. So that's a positive. Um, And I don't think any of their players threatened to fight a media member this week. Uh, But I do need to double check on both of those. It's very possible that we just missed it. Uh, Spain, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. The other team, individual, entity, not having a great weekend, the Celtics. I don't know if you saw that they they made it look respectable. It was a 131-24 loss yesterday to the Heat. But the Heat had a 26-point halftime lead. That's right. They put up 79 first-half points. And this was likely the biggest game of the season for the Celtics. So a team that is 25th in the league in scoring, the Heat, had 79 points at the half. And Trevor Ariza, 35-year-old, longtime veteran swingman, 15 points in a six-minute, 30-second span of the second quarter. It was ugly. And now, add to that today, all-star Jalen Brown has a torn ligament in his wrist, has to have surgery, sidelined for the rest of the season. So just when things started to look a little better for the Celtics, bad couple days, and things are trending down yet again. Finally, bad couple days for A-Rod. We all remember the shrine he made for J-Lo and the Coldplay song he had in the TikTok video, or was it Insta video, uh, remembering their, their, their lost relationship. Well, J-Lo and Ben Affleck spotted in Montana together on vacation weeks after her breakup with A-Rod. Benifer is back Pull up the Geely, go back to 2004, figure out, you know, what you were doing when. Just soak yourself in the greatness that is a a, a moment in time right now where we can focus on Benefer instead of other bad news. Uh, This is sure to end uh, in incredible drama. Just great content for all of us. So uh, congrats to those two crazy kids. I'm not going back to who I was dating in 2004. That is a promise. Uh, coming up on Spain and Fitz, defending champ Dodgers sliding. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. A lot of happy baseball fans with teams putting together some decent records, but are they ready to be exposed as not the real deal? Plus, why people aren't really excited about another no-hitter, a thing that usually gets us pretty fired up. We'll get into all of it next. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now in the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan, who always gives us the straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Passan, let's start with the no-hitter. I heard you've taken to just texting producers on ESPN radio shows another one. No context. That's just your very sad expression to something that used to bring us joy, but now just remind us that pitchers are too good and hitters are too bad, right? Who who did I do that to? I text so much there, I, I tend uh, to forget sometimes. I believe I'm it was hashtag and... Hembo uh, who received that text. Oh, uh, see, I, I don't. Is Hembo an ESPN radio producer? He has like 11 jobs. All right, listen, I'm not the one who can't keep up track of who I'm texting. I mean, that's that's your thing no, to figure I, out. I, I, like, I, I just, I, I associate him with being part of ESPN staff and info and being, like, the nerd on Get Up. All right, well, anyway, the point is you're not excited by no hitters. They're depressing you now. Well, the reason I sent him another one is because he predicted – uh, probably two, maybe three. I mean, it's been a while now. He said we are going to see that record smash this year. And the record for no hitters in one season is eight. The record in the live ball era is seven. And we're already at four with an asterisk for five for Madison Baumgartner. And I actually, here's the thing. 
I like no hitters still. I think they're even in this era where they're seemingly far easier to come by. I still think they're an incredible accomplishment. Major league hitters are really, really good at what they do. And the idea that you're going to record 27 outs before a ball lands in play or over the fence, or you get a little duck snort out to left field, or you get a little 22 hopper through the infield, like that, I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment still. I, I am not on the no-hitter tired act bandwagon. It's Spain and Fitz, Jeff Passan with me here talking baseball. I was just looking and uh, the MLB.com power rankings have the Red Sox atop MLB right now. You agree with that estimation? No. I <laughs> Look, I, I, tr- I try. No, no, no. This is not to say anything against the Red Sox. I actually think they're good. And they're getting Chris Sale back at some point this year, which is going to make them – uh, theoretically better, and they have a little bit of financial flexibility to go out and get guys at the deadline, so they can improve there. Um, I wonder about their depth. I do not think their bullpen is going to hold up like it has over the, the course of a 162-game season. Um, uh, listen, this is going to sound very weird because of how they've been playing lately and because of the fact that their record right now is 18 and 17. I still think the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. And I know that they're going through a rough patch right now, and I know their bullpen looks like a mess, and I know they haven't been hitting and they haven't been playing clean baseball. Uh, If you're asking me who's going to win the World Series today, I'm taking the Dodgers unequivocally. Jeff Passon with us. Still taking the Dodgers, like you mentioned. So many struggles, lost 15 of 20. What are you seeing from them now during this time that makes you believe it's a matter of getting out of a funk instead of an, uh, some sort of indictment on their talent. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything from them right now that makes me believe they're a good baseball team. Because they're <laughs> not right now. But I, I look at a lineup that has Mookie Betts and Corey Seager and is going to have Cody Bellinger coming back and has Justin Turner uh, and Max Muncie and Will Smith. And I can go on and on about the talent that they have in the lineup. I look at a rotation that has Clayton Kershaw and Walker Buehler and Trevor Bauer. Um, and even though the Dustin May injury hurts, they're going to be getting Tony Gonsolin back. And they've got Josiah Gray waiting in the wings in the minor leagues. Uh, the, the bullpen is the question there, but, but Sarah, if there's anything that you can do at the deadline, it is upgraded bullpen. There will be good pitchers out there and the Dodgers will be in the market for them because Uh, That is their weakness right now, but it's a weakness brought upon by injuries as much as anything. And the depth isn't as good necessarily as I thought it was going to be. Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN MLB Insider. Jeff Passan here giving the straight talk on the MLB season. You mentioned that there will be pitchers available. Now there, of course, are always going to be sellers in baseball. But this year, right now, fewer sellers than you might normally think. 19 teams have a record of 500 or better but only nine uh-huh. of them are more than two games over 500. So plenty of those teams that are currently delighting their fans with a winning record are probably uh, going to be exposed soon. How many, and I don't know if you're looking at the standings or if you have that information in your brain, how many of those 19 do you anticipate being real deal teams that continue their success? And how many are uh, are just riding high now about to get the gut punch? 
I think that um, if we're looking at the American League East, I actually buy all four of the teams, everyone in that division except Baltimore, potentially being over 500. Uh, in, in the American League Central, I'm still stunned that the Minnesota Twins are as bad as they've been. Uh, but they lose Byron Buxton, and, and that's been uh, a big bummer for them. Um, the White Sox, I think, at this point look like they're going to run away with that division. Um, the West, you know, the West has three teams over 500 right now. Um, it wouldn't shock me to see by the end of the season one. Yeah, the Mariners are clearly going to do what they do. So that's a, that's a <laughs> yeah. given. Though, though, it will be nice. Jared Kalanick's going to be coming probably in the next couple of weeks. So finally getting to see him. Uh, the, the, the National League stinks this season. I, I just, you know, it, it's been such a disappointing division. And um, you'll probably see, uh, you know, at the same time, it, it would not surprise me to see like, like 383 and 79 teams in that division. <laughs> um, National League Central, I still think it's Milwaukee's to lose. The St. Louis has been playing very well lately. I don't anticipate the Cubs are uh, going to be in contention. And they're, they're going to be... You know, when it comes to the deadline, Sarah, the Cubs, to me, are going to be the most interesting team. Yeah, they could help a lot of teams out if they decide this whole core is over. They can, but what is the threshold for them to sell? Mm -hmm. If the Cubs are three or four games back of the Brewers or Cardinals, or even closer than that, coming up on July 31st, can they reasonably sell? Or is it going to be the north side version of the white flag deal? Like, that, that, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, Jed Hoyer is in a tenuous position right now. Uh, mm-hmm. In the National League West, uh, love the Dodgers still, uh, like the Padres a lot. And I think the Giants are actually legit. I think they're I, – I, I don't think they're better than the Dodgers or the Padres, but uh, they will be in wild card contention this season. Jeff Passan with us here. He's part of a roundtable. The state of baseball inside the biggest questions MLB is facing with the future of the sport at stake. You can find it on .com. A whole bunch of uh, baseball voices, Marley uh, Rivera, Jesse Rogers, Jeff Passan, Clinton Yates, uh, June Lee, a whole bunch of folks. Tim Kirkson, of course, uh, getting into all the different issues plaguing baseball right now. Uh, well, most of them, not all of them. I don't think we have enough time for that. But most of the issues plaguing Major League Baseball. So check that out. Uh, Jeff, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Solis fan. Have a good show. Look at that. We didn't even fight once. Not even once. I blame Fitz then. I think he's the problem. Fitz is always the problem. Jeff Passing, giving you the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain and Fitz. The NWSL regular season starts this weekend. The Challenge Cup was raised victoriously this past weekend. Meg Linehan from The Athletic going to talk all about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. The Challenge Cup captured over the weekend that ends the post uh, sorry preseason for the NWSL which sets up start of the regular season this weekend to give us all the information including a very high profile new investor joining us covering the NWSL for the athletic is Meg Linehan Spain and Fitz solo Spain tonight ESPN radio ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 by the way uh, that PK goal from Morgan Weaver to win it uh, coming from CBS Sports Meg let's start with this Alexander Ovechkin presser today I did not have time. I was running around all day to watch any of it. Do Are there any major takeaways from Ovi, the newest owner of the Washington Spirit? 
I mean, I would honestly say probably really nothing major, but what is very interesting to me is, you know, he talked a lot about his mom being a, a basketball player, right? Like he's grown up around women athletes. And so for him, he's just kind of like, why aren't we supporting this? Right. Yeah. So I love that. it was just really delightful, honestly. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of these press conferences are, are generally anything like super uh, relevatory, but I, I think that in general, having a team like the Washington Spirit have this kind of direct connection with a team like the Capitals, with a player like Alex Ovechkin. And this is for me, who actually became a Caps fan when I was in school in D.C. when Alex Ovechkin joined the team. Uh, so it was a very fun full circle moment for me, yeah. but it's just like a great link. Yeah, 100%. And as a uh, full disclosure, a co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars, there's been a whole bunch of new owners joining into the league across a bunch of different teams, uh, which creates a much bigger safety net for a still nascent young women's professional soccer league. Um, and you love to see all the, all the great names. I mean, I still wish the Steve Baldwin who owned the spirit was Stephen Baldwin of the Baldwin family. I just think that would be more interesting. But Ovi is, is a good uh, consolation prize. Let's talk about the Portland Thorns beating Gotham FC to win the Challenge Cup. The Challenge Cup last year was sort of like most of the season because of COVID. They did it in a bubble. It was very successful. 400% ratings increase from previous years in the television ratings. So they decided to kind of take a little bit of that and make the preseason now the Challenge Cup for this 2021 regular season. Uh, the revamped Gotham, maybe a surprise uh, being the runner-up there. What did you make of the game and sort of what you saw over the preseason? Yeah, I mean, the final itself was arguably the best game of the Challenge Cup, but just a perfect, I think, advertisement for the NWSL again on big CBS, right? I mean, just back and forth goals, first half, second half, and then to go seven rounds in a penalty kick shootout is not a bad thing for neutrals <laughs> or perhaps tuning in for the first time. But, you know, in terms of the Gotham FC narrative, the team formerly known as Sky Blue FC, they have looked a little bit like a brand new team. We have seen this new attitude. There's been a lot of stuff in the, the post-game press conferences about how they want to be the villains of this league. They want to be feared. They want to be respected, which is a good thing in terms of narrative for the NWSL. But then on the flip side, you have Portland Thorns FC who have been built to dominate this league very specifically after falling to North Carolina over the past couple of years. So, you know, I fully expect Portland to continue their winning ways, but this is the first of essentially four potential trophies for them this year. And expectations were on them to win, and they, they managed to pull one out. Yeah, you mentioned all the trophies. Soccer is, like, really into this, like, let's muddy the waters a bit. Instead of one title, you can win the Challenge Cup and the Shield and the Championship and the Tournament. Um, maybe can you explain to people, we're about to start a 24-game regular season this weekend with the opener on, on Saturday. Uh, what are What is on the line if people want to check out the NWSL, adopt a team? What are the most important things these teams are fighting for? Yeah, I mean, right now, honestly, and the Challenge Cup trophy is a nice trophy to win. Absolutely. But in the, the larger scheme of things, the thing that people really care about in this league is winning the championship. So for folks who might be more familiar with like a European soccer model, right? If you win the regular season, you win the title and that's a trophy. And that does exist within the NWSL. There is the NWSL shield for someone who wins has the best record at the end of the regular season. But then we also have the American playoff format. So 
for the NWSL, really the trophy that like has the most weight is still the NWSL championship. And that is the one where people really, really think about it. And I do also think we're going to see a slightly more improved trophy for the end of this year because the <laughs> NWSL trophy in past seasons has, has been mocked a bit as looking like a spatula. Um, <laughs> but I, I do, you know, we, we saw the success of how so you that's can, a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So players like to be able to drink out of yeah. these. So I, I and fully so do expect... the fans. As someone who has, <laughs> has imbibed out of the Stanley Cup on more than one occasion, I, I think anything you... My dog actually drank out of the Stanley Cup once, too. I feel like anything no. you can drink out of it should be the priority. I actually had the commissioner of the NWSL, Lisa Baird, on my podcast, and we got into how I have some suggestions for the uh, trophy name um, uh, that are varied, but uh, certainly having no name at all on it is not an option. I, I think they need to... Yeah. One of the new upgrades needs to be it doesn't look like a spatula has a cool name and you can drink out of it that's the three criteria we start with and we go from there uh meg linehan from the athletic is with me here she covers the nwsl regular season starts for the best women's professional soccer league in the world this weekend and you mentioned the portland thorns coming in a very hot favorite this is also a team that gets to thrive in the incredible atmosphere of roughly fifteen thousand fans a game at every game up in portland what are the other teams that people should have their eyes on as looking like favorites after the after the which was kind of a weird preseason because some of the Olympic players out for friendlies and stuff. But regardless, every team was affected by that. So who who are you liking besides the Thorns? Yeah, I mean, what's going to be really interesting is this is also the first season where we have six teams making the playoffs instead of just four. So there is a little more wiggle room to allow teams to get in. Obviously, you cannot talk about an NWSL postseason without the North Carolina courage. They are not necessarily as stacked as they have been in the past. Crystal Dunn, you know, a very key player, went from North Carolina over to Portland. Um, But North Carolina, like, you can't count them out. The Washington Spirit, in addition to Alex Ovechkin, have (laughs) been trying to build to win. But I, you know, Gotham FC has shown that they also cannot be overlooked so far. You have the Houston Dash, who won the Challenge Cup last summer and are looking to to really keep themselves in the conversation of winning games in this league. And then I think the most interesting team right now is OL Reign, who not just like they, they really turned around the challenge cup in the second half. Like they went, they looked very iffy the first two games and then won their last two, but they've got a lot of incoming talent from Europe that is going to definitely make an impact on that team. And so that's kind of the bigger question is they have not always been looking like a playoff team as of late. And now that roster could be really interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. Zara King, a lot of fun, I would say. Yeah. Extremely fun <laughs> to watch. Uh, and then you throw her out there with Megan Rapino. Um, and yeah, OL Reign, a very interesting team to keep an eye on. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain on ESPN Radio, talking to Meg Linehan of The Athletics. She covers the NWSL, which starts its regular season this weekend. Um, another weird thing about this season, which can be both a boon and a, a negative for the league, is the Olympics. The season doesn't stop for the Olympics. So teams that lose a significant number of players to the national team end up having call-ups during that stretch and try to tread water or stay above water. Um, while they wait for their return. And when they return, it's usually great for ratings and great for sales of tickets, uh, but it does interrupt the league. Uh, Who do you think is set to hurt the most during that Olympic break? Yeah, I mean, logic would say Portland, but also we saw Portland without a lot of their national team players in this Challenge Cup, and they did just fine without them. So Portland is now also looking like they're probably not going to be 
in nearly as much danger as they have. You know, 2015, they got hit really badly by players heading out to the World Cup. So after that, it really does kind of depend on in terms of, you know, North Carolina is a team where they generally have a lot of depth and now they might not be as deep. So that's definitely a team. But also I would say Gotham FC is another one where they could potentially lose a couple of very key players if Midge Purse makes this Olympic roster or heads as an alternate. That's a huge loss for Gotham FC, in my opinion. So that's definitely one of those ones where I'm watching to see what happens there. We'll be interesting to keep an eye on my Chicago Red Stars in that case, too, because they lose that core in the back of Alyssa Nair, yeah. Tierna Davidson, um, and there's a chance Mallory Pugh gets called up, and they are struggling to find strikers with Sam Kerr gone, with Yuki gone. Um, so uh, we'll be we'll be interesting to watch that Olympic break. Hopefully, drive a lot of interest in the sport, but something the NWSL has to uh, keep up with while while those players are gone. Meg, hope you enjoyed the preseason. Looking forward to your coverage in the regular season. Everyone can find it on the Athletic. Uh, thanks for the time. Thank you so much, Meg Linehan. Follow her for all your NWSL news. I also have exciting, fun, Red Stars-related things that will be all over my social media to get you fired up and excited to, of course, root for my team. And I get to say us. Ha-ha. Can't call me on that. Uh, Spain and Fitz brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Coming up, the Lakers are getting their stars back, but will it matter? The Nets are looking to be the first team with a defensive rating near the bottom that goes on to win it all. And does Ramona Shelburne agree with all of the teams that I had looking up and all of the teams that I had sinking down? We'll ask her all about it next. It's coming up on ESPN Radio, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Seven days of the NBA regular season, and we get the play-in tournament, then we finally get to the postseason where we get to answer all the questions we've been asking all year long about health, about defense, about stars, about expectations. To help me talk about this wrap-up on the regular season, ESPN.com senior writer Ramona Shelburne. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way, solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Ramona Shelburne on the Goodyear Hotline. Ramona, earlier in the show, I did a little three-up, three-down. Teams I'm feeling better about after the weekend and teams I'm feeling worse about. Feeling good about the Sixers, the Jazz, and the Lakers, despite Mm. that loss on Friday. I just think Anthony Davis's two games of dominance had me feeling a little more optimistic. Feeling not great about the Blazers, not because of their record, but because the teams they have to finish against the Suns, because I'm worried about that Suns-Lakers matchup for Phoenix. And the Warriors, because, again, they've got Jazz, Suns, Pelicans, Grizzlies to close things out. Uh, you agree with me on my three up, three down? You know what? I like that. Like, how many of the, the, the Sixers up to, like, eight, nine in a row at this point? Eight in a they're, row. They're, they're cruising. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're, you know, they're cruising right now. And I think it's, it's it, they haven't really been beating anybody of note, right? Like, they've been sort of, you know, beating bad teams. But they're still beating bad teams, which is more than you can say for everybody right now. Um, there's been some strange scores out there lately, and I, I think it's. Um, I think if you're, I think if you're the, if you're the sixth, you got to feel good about get that one seed because your your path through the Eastern Conference is so different if you're the one seed than if you're the two or the three. And I think just a couple of weeks ago, we, you know, it looked like they they really might fall into the two or three seed, and I think they've rallied at the end here. So, you know, it's much different to play New York or Atlanta in the second round than it would be to to be in that two three game. And okay. and I think that's what they you know they they had that a target on like, like let's 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 not fall in there and so I, I think that's 
it's a nice pass for them. Although, shoot, I, I, I just watched the Knicks beat the Clippers the other day, and they right. look pretty, <laughs> pretty scary. So I don't know. Maybe be careful what you wish for. Ramona, the Sixers 26-4, and 15-0 at home mm-hmm. uh, with the full starting lineup against the East. So if you were going to find a weakness from this team that would cause them to trip up uh, sometime before the NBA Finals, what is it? When, when they aren't their best, assuming yeah. they're all healthy, what is it? Yeah, I think, you know, I think they could always use a little more shooting and a little more playmaking. Um, but, like, here's the thing about the Sixers. They have the talent to win. They really do. The, the, the question is, and are, what are they going to do when teams do what they always do to Philadelphia in the playoffs, which is double, triple team Joel Embiid and force somebody else to beat them? Because from what I've seen this year, Sarah, I don't think anybody can stop Joel Embiid. Like, if you guard him – straight up that he's just going to score 30 or 40 every night. Like he's, you know, I've been working on a story with him lately. And so I've been looking up all these fun stats. Do you know, there hasn't been a center in the NBA that's averaged 30 points a game since Moses Malone and Joel Embiid is right there. He's like a 29.2. And that's, I don't know. I mean, he's not even playing that many minutes these days. You know, they're, they're really resting their guys. He's playing 25, 26 minutes. So I think the biggest issue for Philly is what are you going to do when Everybody sends the house at Joel. And you know if they play, you know, we talk about Atlanta and New York in that second round. No, Tom Thibodeau is going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about the Knicks after that win over the Clippers. This is a team, it's, you know, eight above 500. They're sitting in the four, but it's a weak East. Most people look at the top three in the East as their own category and then four down as being decidedly less um, can they make noise? Uh, I think what I've heard from most is maybe a first round win, but more likely uh, this is just a good sign for the future. Yeah. Generally speaking, we all keep waiting for this bubble to pop, right? Like we all keep going <laughs> like, okay, at some point, like they're going to come back to earth. Right. And I think, so this is a year in which no one is playing any defense across the league, not happening. Everybody. It's like, it's, it's just one step above the all-star game out there. Right. It's just, like you look at the you look at the numbers across the board. The best defensive team in the league is is I think usually it's it's either New York. Sometimes it's been the Lakers. Sometimes it's just spending on the you know night to night in terms of their averages. It's still like 105 a game, 106 a game. Okay, um, they they play really good defense. They scheme against their opponents really well. And I think there's something we you know you see this a lot in the NCAA tournament where when there's teams that not much of it is, is expected of them, they just what, it's like what do you have to lose? And you just if you've got guys buying into the schemes that you're playing, buying into defense, playing above their heads, Julius Randle's having a career year, Derek Rose is having a resurgent year. I mean, they just have absolutely nothing to lose. And there's something sort of freeing about playing with no pressure like that. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, no fits tonight on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPN.com senior writer Ramona Shelburne with me now talking all things NBA. Uh Quickly looking at the Suns, right? This is a team that is still one of only three in the top seven on both ends of the floor. They have the second best record against the best eight teams in the league. They have all this positivity around them. But then you look at them with a potential matchup with the Lakers and you imagine Anthony Davis doing what he did on Sunday in a series. And this could be a very early exit for a team that worked really hard to get the two seed only to face probably the Lakers. Yeah, I, I I would feel bad for them if this is what happens. Okay, I would. They had a great year, and they earned a better matchup than this. But it's also, I don't know, when you're a team that hasn't won anything and you haven't been in the playoffs for a long time, when you finally get to the playoffs, like, you have to prove yourself. Like, nobody, you know, like, you're going to have to beat the Lakers at some point anyway. You know, you're going to. And so, like, to me, it's, 
this whole year is they, they understand that no one takes them seriously until they win in the playoffs, right? They understand that. I, I don't hear anybody chirping about the lack of respect. Do you hear Devin Booker? Do you hear Chris Paul? Well, actually, I always hear Chris Paul because he's always <laughs> chirping. But, but, right, like that's, that's Chris Paul. But to, to me, it's like they, I think they understand that this is their lot, and that's fine. They, they should have to prove it, and they should have to earn it. And they're going to be playing – Really high-level basketball. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. We, we're looking at a 7-8 game between the Lakers and the Warriors in the play-in tournament. I don't want to see either of those teams if I'm Phoenix, but I really don't want to see the Lakers because you know, I think LeBron James and Anthony Davis are just going to get back right at this right right at the end here. And AD looks better to me than he looked. At, definitely he looks a lot better than he looked the first four or five games that he came back. LeBron's injury, Sarah, like it's just – you know, I was talking with a physical therapist the other day and kind of trying to understand, like, what is the nature of his injury. It's just one of those injuries that you can't necessarily get better from in a short amount of time. It's just there's not a lot of strengthening exercises or things that you can do to just get that better. All He's just going to be playing through pain. It's just yeah. he's going to have this the whole playoffs. And I, you know, I'll bet on LeBron. I've I've covered him his whole career here, and I've, I, I made a vow never to bet against LeBron James after I saw what he did his last year in Cleveland. I still don't know how that team made it to the finals. 100%. I'm with you. He's he's been added to my list of people that I refuse to pick against. At this point, it's Tom Brady. It's it's, it's Aaron Rodgers most of the time. Not his team, but him. And it's LeBron James. Uh, And then I never pick for the Clippers anymore because they burn me too many darn times. I'm sorry, Clippers. I agree. There's just certain rules. they got to prove it. Otherwise, I can't keep putting my neck out there for you. Uh, Ramona (laughs) Schaubert. You know what? They probably like it that way. I I think they're happier being the underdog. Like, they'd just rather nobody, you know, yeah, bet well, on them. They would they, rather nobody respect them. They yeah. keep doing what they're doing. That's going to continue to be the case. Uh, quickly, <laughs> before I let you go, the Nets, this is a team that has the best record against the best yeah. teams in the league. When they're healthy, we know this is an unbelievable offense. But we know in the 25 years for which there is data on this, no mm-hmm. team has ever ranked 23rd or worse on either end of the floor and still gone on to win do you believe that this is the unicorn trifecta of players that can end that statistic, even if their defense remains solidly at the bottom of the league? Oh, I think they could. I really think they're good. I just part of it is my belief in in Kevin Garnett. I'm sorry, Kevin Garnett. In Kevin Durant, as I believe in him too, though. I was can, about can Garnett, there. but yeah. I, I was thinking <laughs> about like I, I think I think. Kevin Durant is an underrated defender when he wants to be like, he really is like seven feet tall. Like when you see, he's really tall. Like he can defend the rim. He's really, he, I don't think he can guard Joel Embiid. I don't <laughs> like, I think that they're That has to be a team defense, but you know, Kyrie Irving is sort of opportunistic defensively. Right. When it's he about wants the energy. Be, Mona. It's, it's and whether they care. Yeah. And that's the difference. And we won't I see that until do, the postseason starts. We won't see that. There's yeah. no way to gauge based on the regular season. Well, yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to the final seven days and the plan and the postseason. A lot of good storylines. And we will have you to walk us through yeah. all of it. Thanks for the time, Ramona. Appreciate it. Thanks, sir. ESPN.com. Senior writer Ramona Shelburne with me here on Spain and Fitz Solo Spain tonight. Coming up, everything you need to know about the NHL's postseason next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Like the NBA, the NHL is rounded into the home stretch the last week as the playoffs are getting sorted out. Lots of games on the slate tonight to help us with that and looking ahead to the postseason. It's I guess I should introduce the show. I keep forgetting to introduce the show because I'm just by myself and there's no one to talk to. It's it's solo Spain. The, the show is called Spain and Fitz, but he's cheating on me again, likely with some other slot somewhere. 
Uh, we haven't found him yet, but we will. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Greg Wyshynski is who's joining us on the Goodyear Hotline. ESPN Senior NHL writer, co-host of the Puck Soup Podcast. Wish I'm all alone and it's throwing me off. Uh, I apologize for the uh, the shaky intro, but I'm excited that you're here to chat with me about the NHL. Uh, at one point, the season was supposed to be over by now, Yes. <laughs> well, it's actually right around the end point. They built in an extra week into the schedule in case they needed it for uh, any any COVID delays and stuff like that. Uh, but what happened was that the Vancouver Canucks got their COVID delay way late in the season. So uh, the Canucks are going to be playing all the way through May 19th. We oh, still geez. don't know what the, <laughs> yeah, what the schedule for the playoffs looks like. So there's a chance that... <laughs> There's a chance the regular season may still be going on as playoff series are starting, which is crazy. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely absurd. Uh, Speaking of weird irregularities from the regular season to the postseason, the NHL is is planning on really changing the way they've done things all season long in terms of COVID protocols and and all that. Uh, Talk about that and also whether you think that's a wise move uh, with a bunch of, you know, postseason dates that need to be sort of set in stone once it gets going. No, I, I think it makes sense. I mean, I, I think as more and more teams, um, you know, are getting back, uh, you know, players have spoken out. Obviously, Robin Lehner with the Vegas Gold Knights was one of them speaking out about how the, he was under the impression and other players were under the, under the impression that once vaccinations start, some of the protocols should lift and there should be some normalcy in life. I think I think that's natural. I think that's logical. I, I think you know, the protocols that are in place in this league and the daily testing and everything has, for the most part, done a pretty good job of keeping things in check. Now, the real intrigue when it comes to the protocols is going to be what happens with the eventual champion of the all-Canadian North Division uh, and whether or not they're going to be able to travel over the border, whether U.S. teams are going to be able to travel to Canada, um, and or whether that Canadian division team is going to have to post up at a neutral site somewhere in the United States uh, during the last two rounds, potentially, of the playoffs. If when it comes to the COVID stuff, that's the real big question facing the NHL right now is, is how do they handle that border issue? Okay, I want to get into that in a second. But quickly, Greg Wyshynski with me here on Spain and Fitz, co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. Um, do we not have distrust in this league the way we do with others, where we might think that teams are fibbing about vaccination percentages and what they've done? Are, are we are we believing that there is no tomfoolery at play here so that they can be trusted to have the right percentage, et cetera, in order to advance this next round of protocol changes? That's a real good question. And I don't know what level of documentation the NHL is asking for from its teams whether it's just volunteering the information or whether it needs to be authenticated. That's, that's a very good question. I don't know the answer right now on it. Um, I, I also, you know, wonder whether or not a league that is infamous for, uh, you know, obfuscation when it comes to its injuries right. can, can necessarily be trusted to, uh, right. to be forthright with its vaccination. Would COVID be upper body or lower body? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think right. probably upper where body. The, where is, <laughs> the, yeah, it'd be upper body depending on, you know, knowing where they, they stick the needle. So, yeah, that's that's the real question is whether whether we they, they have earned our trust. But, yeah, again, like the vaccination thing has been an interesting situation all season. The NHL uh, has said they are not mandating it necessarily. That would have to be something collectively bargained with the NHLPA. But it's pretty clear that by kind of putting the carrot there of lifting up these protocols and, and things of that nature, they've certainly – you know, put an emphasis on, on teams and staffers getting vaccinated, which again, when we get, you know, talk, we're circling back to that border issue. 
would certainly make that issue a lot more manageable. The the situation right now with Canada is that, you know, there are some people portraying it as a, as a public health issue. Um, if the NHL can come to the table and say, well, the teams that are entering Canada are all fully vaccinated, um, then obviously it becomes a different conversation insofar as trying to get past the quarantines that are currently being mandated for anyone entering the country. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Solo today on ESPN Radio, talking to Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer and co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. You're doing a lot of writing on the site uh, a couple days ago, a story going up about some of the postseason expectations. And I think people can read a lot of the, you know, the current matchups and, and the favorites. So I want to dig a little deeper into this issue with Canada. How is it possible to be this deep into this without having answers on that? And is it is it feel like there might be pressure from the league for the best teams to consider forcing full vaccination of the team, if that's going to be the difference in, in, in whether they can cross the border and come back? I think it's a possibility, maybe behind the scenes. But the real issue with the border and, and waiting this long to address it is they're just kind of waiting until the final moment to see if, if Canada will bend to their, their will. You know, um, it's going to go one of two ways. You know, either they're going to be able to travel over the border and back to play games in Canada or the Canadian team will have to be at a neutral site in the U.S. And the two issues in Canada right now, I was talking to an epidemiologist a couple weeks ago about this thing. Um, It shouldn't be seen as a public health issue in Canada. You know, the NHL's protocols um, are are so stringent that it's not going to be like somebody with COVID getting on a plane to travel to Canada. It's not going to be the situation. They test these guys multiple times a day. Um, The real issue in Canada is optics. And we saw a bit of that this week when uh, word came out that the Toronto Maple Leafs, a lot of the players were getting their first uh, doses of the vaccine. Uh, There was some outrage from people in Canada about them, quote unquote, jumping the line. And that's the that's the thing the NHL is facing right now is if there is a special a special dispensation given to uh, professional hockey teams traveling to and from Canada, Um, when, you know, citizens have to be in quarantine when they get back from another country and in some cases can't travel anywhere. Um, It's a very, very delicate political situation that the league has to navigate. And frankly, they're going to wait as long as they can. I was told by a league executive they need like 10 days to kind of get that round of the playoffs up and running, um, depending on where the Canadian team is going to be. So they are going to wait this thing out as long as they can. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with Greg Wyshynski. Uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Running out of time here. What are the biggest storylines that you're looking at heading into the postseason? What are you focusing on as teams are jockeying for position? Oh, boy. Well, first of all, we're going to get our first all-Florida playoff series. The, the right. Panthers and the Lightning, yeah, have been in this league since the early 1990s. Uh, because the Panthers have been terrible <laughs> most seasons, <laughs> they've never met in the playoffs before. But we're getting it this year. The Battle of Florida is going to happen. But the real one that we want to see, and, and these two teams are actually playing tonight as well, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche have been like Kong versus Godzilla this entire season within their <laughs> division. We all want to see them meet for the division title. Minnesota could be a little spoiler in their first-round series against Colorado, but that's the money matchup. That's the heavyweight battle we want to see. Either of those teams can win the cup, and uh, there's a very good chance they could meet uh, for the division title in the West Division. In cases when the Blackhawks are irrelevant, I always look to the Panthers as Blackhawks South. Uh, regardless of how many <laughs> remaining members actually do still have ties, I will forever consider them, um, you know, a relative, a sister city, if you will. So I will be, I will be on board for that. Wish, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Greg Wyshynski with me here on Spain and Fitz.
read him. ESPN senior NHL writer, listen to him on the Puck Soup podcast. Uh, and he and Emily Kaplan were both on ESPN Daily, the podcast this morning, uh, running down all the biggest stories in the NHL and looking ahead to the postseason. Uh, coming up, we also have the WNBA season about to get underway. We'll talk to a star in the league about the season starting up this weekend. Next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Having trouble keeping up with when seasons start and what things start. I don't blame you. I mean, we just talked about how the NHL regular season was supposed to be done on the 8th and now might go to the 19th and the playoffs might start while another team is finishing the regular season. It's all kind of a mess. But what I can assure you, as I mentioned earlier, NWSL starts this Saturday. WNBA season begins May 14th. Yes, just a couple days away from the start of a very highly anticipated 25th season for the WNBA Go everywhere, check out the power rankings, find out what your squad is looking like. We're going to check in with a player right now to see what the expectations are in L.A. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And L.A. Sparks guard Erica Wheeler joins me now. Erica, thanks for uh, giving us some time. Of course, man. Happy to be here, man. Let's start with the huge billboard that has you on it in L.A., a huge advertising campaign by Adidas. I'm not so much shocked that you're on a billboard or that it's a massive (laughs) Adidas billboard. It's more that Chineo Gumake lets you have any shine because I feel like our girl is everywhere. And it was nice of her to let some other folks on the team, you know, get some advertising. Man, uh, she's a team player, man. So, you know, all my teammates are team players, but... um, the big board, the, the billboard was a, a major milestone for me. I never in my career imagined that, but um, you know my Adidas team is uh, awesome, man. They they put me in position to you know just excel and just you know show my personality. So just to be on a, a billboard in L.A. for one, when I'm from Miami, and then one of the <laughs> biggest ones in L.A., I think that's pretty damn cool. I do love the video. You've got your mask as a blindfold, which is great. And in fact, uh, that is something I came up with when I was camping earlier this summer and it was too bright in the tent. And I was like, yo, this mask makes a great blindfold while I'm sleeping. Uh, but I love the reaction. You literally had to sit down at the sight of it. And part of that is you're an undrafted player, the first undrafted player in the, in the, in the league's history to win MVP in the All-Star game. Now you've got this huge billboard. Um, you were an All-Star with the Fever in 2019. You know, what are the reasonable expectations that you have for yourself this season um, now that you've sort of reset what people can can imagine from you? Um, just to stay within myself. I think that, you know, when you get so much hype around you and so many things is happening, you kind of lose yourself. So for me, I just want to stay consistent and do what I do well and um, do whatever my coach asks me. You know, Fish is a pretty straightforward guy. You know, he give me my, my guidelines and what I need to do. That's just what I'm going to do. Our goal is to win a championship. So whatever I need to help to do that and help my team, that's what I'm going to do. Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, talking to L.A. Sparks guard Erica Wheeler. Let's talk about the expectations for the Sparks this year. You know, this is this is a team that had a, a disappointing exit in the playoffs last year. Then you lose Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray to free agency. What are the you know the players that need to step up or the acquisitions that you've gotten that make you feel optimistic despite losing that talent? Um, <laughs> I, I think that's the biggest thing right there. I think that the world gonna be sleep on us, and that's what we want. <laughs> you know, we don't care about the outside noise. We don't care about anything that's around us. When we in home with our family, you know, my sisters and my my coaches, we don't care about anything but besides what's going on there. So 
we working every day, day to day, to get to where we want to be on on the back end. So we don't care about what nobody's saying about our team. You know, we present. You know, we're a family, and that's all we care about. It obviously was a very strange situation last year to go into the wobble, but despite everything, the league experienced incredible ratings boost. There was a lot of people taking notice of the WNBA for the play because their schedules were disrupted and they were trying something new and they realized, wow, this is a great product. And then, of course, because of the social activism around the league and teams. So how different does it feel stepping into this season with all of that behind you and that momentum and it being sort of the 25th season of this, of this league? Um, does it feel significantly different this year, any more hyped than before? Right. Make no mistake. Um, that wobble was tough. I didn't go, but just hearing about it from my teammate, it was tough, but also, you know, the WNBA made damn history. You know, I don't think we would <laughs> ever in this 25 year of having a WNBA established, have all 144 players and coaches and GMs in one place. We can never do that. So to be able to do that and then stand up and WNBA get behind, you know, us as women and, you know, allow us to use our voice in the platform to do the things that we did, I think that's history in the making. So I don't think anything can top that. That's that's pretty historical. But I do think that the WNBA is going up. And like you said, the ratings is, was very high. And I think that's what we need to keep pushing is allowing us to get on TV so the, so the world can see how wonderful we are. We're not just, you know, regular basketball players. We do things that's pretty damn amazing. So, you know, if we the world can't see that if we're not on TV. So yeah. just keep pushing that. Just keep pushing us on TV. And we are we are super we are superwomen. We play year-round, you know. Not to say that the guys are <laughs> not who they are because they're pretty damn good too, but we play year-round. And people try to figure out, like, how do we stay mentally locked in? How do our bodies stay locked in with us, with our with our minds? You know, that's pretty damn tough. So for us to be able to do that, put us on TV so we can show you who we are. Couldn't agree with you more, Eric. I talk about this a lot in women's sports. you got to be the best in the world at what you do, in addition to helping sell tickets, being role models, you know, being the kind of people that can go out and, and speak and advocate for yourselves and for your league, playing year-round, flipping the Senate, speaking on behalf of major social issues, uh, truly superheroes, as you said. L.A. Sparks guard Erica Wheeler with me here on Spain and Fit Solo Spain. You mentioned the TV thing. Big news came out a couple days ago. 100 telecasts on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, CBS, CBS Sports, and NBA TV. Another 12 streaming on Twitter, 20 on Facebook. Watch and Oculus. It's going to be in a bunch of places. And the, the new deal with Google as a presenting partner also helps a ton with that 25-game schedule on the big ESPN blocks. So um, a lot of chances for people to get on board if they aren't already um, and to see your Sparks. Let's talk about getting acquired by the Sparks, um, signing you to a, a couple-year deal this uh, this uh, February. What has been the biggest difference in, in the short amount of time you've been with the team so far compared to your previous stops? Man, honestly, um, the first day I got here, it felt like home. You know, uh, nice. it's to the point where I don't even carry my own damn shoes. And I was kind of, you know, that it was. It's, Wait, it's, you have a shoe carrier? Is, listen, as small as that is, I had to carry my <laughs> shoes in other places. But for me, it's just like the simplest things that I don't have to think about making sure I have my shoes every time I leave L.A. to a game. You know, so it's like, dang, I ain't have that. And then yeah. anything you ask for, man, you're going to get it. If you can't, if they don't got it, they're going to find it. And then, like I said, you know, Coach Fitch, he, he was a player, so he 
he makes sure we have everything we need because he knows, you know, if you leave it up to him, he feels like we deserve the world. You know, like that's how much he backs us. That's how much he's with us. So just from the day I got here, just been family, you know, NECA, just been amazing. You know, Sinead, just been amazing. So everybody's just been super, you know, welcoming. And, you know, they the respect level is there. They know who I am. They know what I can do. And they give me that respect. Yeah, I love that, just to hear that they treat you guys like the stars that you are, and you're going to play better when you feel like you're respected in that way, and that's the goal for women's sports is to get to that level um, where you feel like you know, you're, being, you're being treated with the respect you've earned. Um, your home opener Friday, 7.30 Pacific time against the Dallas Wings at the L.A. Convention Center. People want to go uh, watch in person or watch on television. And before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about uh, the Wheeler Kid Foundation as well. I know this is something that's uh, very close to your heart. Tell me about that. Well, I, I mean, my heart is, is to give. You know, I love the youth. I love the kids because I think it's our duty as, you know, role models or even entertainers to inspire the youth to know that it can be whatever they want. And I think I'm a living proof of that. So many days I could have just quit and just been like, forget it. I can't do this too tough. So I always want to give back to the youth in the sense of like, oh, go out and chase your dreams. It may take long. It may take, it, it may be quicker than what you think, but go out and chase your dreams. So for me, I love to get out and do camps. I love to do speaking engagements to share my story to let, you know, you just never know what a kid is going through. But in that moment, I can probably change their mind. Like, okay, she did it. So maybe I can do it. So my, my foundation allowed me to do things the right way and not just do things, you know, just out the way. So my foundation is geared towards, you know, low-income, you know, neighborhoods or, you know, really to anybody to give them a, a, a choice, you know. So I just try to always give, you know, the youth a choice that they can be whatever they want to be. I love that. Yeah, it's so important for those experiences as a child to figure out what you're into and what you like and to be exposed to a ton of things and have the opportunities to explore and, and create and all that. So it's fantastic that you're doing that. Uh, thanks for the time and good luck with the season. Uh, give give our girl Chanae a shout out. And uh, we look forward to seeing a whole lot of the WNBN TV. All right. Thank you for having me. Make sure you check back in. Man. I love to talk to you guys again. Yeah, for sure. Mainly when you're facing my Chicago, uh, Chicago uh, sky, <laughs> you know, just want to see how you're feeling when Candace is dropping, you know, 40 on her former team. I just want, I'll, we'll check in around. Yeah. Then, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, there we go. Uh, LA Sparks card, Erica Wheeler with us here on spade. If it's, we're getting along so well. And then I had to just, I, you know what? You got to rep, you got to rep your squad. I'm excited. I'm excited about Candace Parker coming to Chicago. Sky are going to be fun to watch. Erica Wheeler with me here on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, is it privilege or a great story about pursuing your dreams? Get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ah, that brings back good memories. Good memories of co-hosts that were always here. I believe the show was one called Spain and Company. You really only need my name is always been my opinion. I stand by that. Technically, this show is called Spain and Fitz, but uh, seems seems unnecessary. Seems superfluous to add the second name. Just Spain on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz is gallivanting about cheating on me with other slots. We're not sure where yet. One of you is going to catch him and send me the evidence. I know it. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. 
Uh, real quick, I just got distracted during the commercial because for some reason, I don't know the impetus for this, but Gritty, the uh, very strange uh, and, and, and weird mascot of the Flyers, is answering requests from fans. One of them is to sit in a pool of Wawa soft pretzels while eating a Swedish fish gelati and watching Rocky II. That he has done. Another is a photo shoot of him in a field of sunflowers. There's one petting him a dog. He's doing cartwheels. He's doing hopscotch. It's all sorts of things. And you are very much denying yourself great joy if you do not go to at Gritty NHL and watch him do an 80s workout uh, with hand weights. Uh, watch him, you know, do any number of these things. I, I highly recommend it. It is, it is made my night. Um, wanted to close the show by talking about something that I haven't even made my own mind up about yet. And I know that's not usually how things are done in this business. We get super, super angry and we pick a side and we lose all perspective and we act as though it is the most important thing that has ever come across our desk. Um, but I'm a little torn. And I'm torn about two guys that are doing something that is a dream for them, that are doing something that uh, maybe they would regret if they never tried just to see, something that they don't want to ask themselves what if about, but that other people are calling privilege or insulting or not respectful of those who, who do this thing full time. And I'm talking about Tim Tebow and DK Metcalf. Let's start with Metcalf, a Seahawks star who, during the course of NFL games, defies expectation with his speed. Unbelievable play last year where he ran up, uh, caught an opponent during a game and, you know, had us all freaking out about this giant man with wheels like a track star. Well, was not, in fact, a track star anytime recently. He had to go pretty far back to the last time he competed in any way, and that was the hurdles and the four-by-one and some other stuff, but decides to tr compete in the 100 meters at the USA Track and Field Golden Games and Distance Open in California, attempt to qualify for the Olympic trials. Uh, in my opinion, it is not disrespectful to the people who compete full-time in track and field. I myself was a Division One track and field runner, and I, I don't find this insulting. He is a giant man. He had a respectable time, 1036. He was ninth in his heat, 15th overall out of 17, but that means he beat two people whose sole purpose is to train for this event. Presumably, I don't know those two people. Uh, perhaps they were other NFL players who found themselves fast. Uh, but the winner had a time of 10.11. I believe, by the way, Cravon Gillespie uh, set to join Freddie and Fitzsimmons, the show coming up right after me on this on this uh, radio station. So you can hear him talk about the experience. But I, I think it's a crazy time for a guy who hasn't been training, for a guy who's been an NFL player and – um, if it brought attention to the sport and other people who normally wouldn't be tuning in to watch Gillespie win the race, then good, right? And if DK Metcalf can kind of say to himself, okay, I've achieved the highest level in in football and I'm going to keep focusing on that um, and, and this isn't for me, I don't quite have it enough in this, it, I'm impressive, but it's not enough, then that's great. Um, you know, I, I will say he took a spot of, of somebody in one race in one event. Um, but there are other events in which to compete and qualify. And so I'm okay with it. I'm a little bit more torn on Tim Tebow. And uh, Dominique Foxworth was asked today on, on Get Up about, about, I think it was Get Up, maybe NFL Live, I think it was Get Up, about Tim Tebow and, and the fact that he's getting a shot with the Jags. And his former, his former coach in Urban Meyer said, hey, this 33-year-old who has never, ever played tight end and hasn't been in the league since 2012, we're going to give him a shot. Here's what Dominique said about it. 
Like he's out there with with people <laughs> right. like real runners, like people oh, running people. DK. Like that's what they do. Yeah. This is about DK. I apologize. Let's listen to it. This is Dominique talking about DK Metcalf. Like he's out there with with people <laughs> right. like real runners, like people running people. Like that's what they do yes. for a job. Like this is different. Their whole life. They're like this is what I'm gonna do every day in my life. And the <laughs> only reason why he stood out wasn't because of his speed, was because he's ginormous. Look at that man next to him. Like he could eat that dude. And he's also right next to him. I don't care if he was first place or last. He fit right in out there. It was really impressive. A little risky, but I enjoyed it. First of all, can we talk about how Dominique just called track and field athletes running people? <laughs> he just didn't he didn't know how to address them. He just called them running people. That's their job, running people. Uh we used to always joke in track and field practice that our sport was everyone else's punishment. You get in trouble, do in sprints, that's our practice. You get in trouble, do a lap, that's our practice. Uh thankfully I was a heptathlete, so I got to mix in some jumping and throwing of things. But uh, but Neek is right. I mean, it, it is it is impressive that he didn't get dusted and that he looked like he fit in other than the fact that he looked like he could eat everyone next to him. OK, on to Tim Tebow. Mina Kimes is the one talking Tim Tebow and making some very cogent points uh, today on NFL Live about a 33 year old likely to be about to sign a contract with the Jaguars who never played this position in high school, college or the NFL when he was in the NFL almost a decade ago. I don't know if Tim Tebow can play tight end in the year 2021, but I do know this. Uh, he has not played a snap in a regular season game since 2012. For point of reference, the number one song in America in 2012 was Godier, <laughs> somebody that I used to know, which, incidentally, to Ryan's point, is why Tim Tebow has this job, because yes. he's somebody that Urban Meyer used to know. Um, I've heard the argument that he's being brought in for leadership. I would raise the question, why not as a coach then, right, where you're not taking a roster spot? And look, Tim Tebow could prove us all wrong. He could be awesome at tight end at the age of 33, playing the position in the NFL for the first time. That would be wonderful. But all we have to work on is what we know, and what we know is nothing. Right. Nothing. There's absolutely no proof. This is something that's frustrating people, too, because – People were yelling at Tim Tebow years ago as his quarterback career was fizzling to be an H-back, be a tight end, to adopt another position and use what is very clearly incredible athleticism that he's parlayed into both the NFL and MLB to be able to stick around. And he was dead set on quarterback. Now, you can criticize him for that. You can call him delusion or say that he should have been listening. But at the same time, you know. He had a dream, and he wanted to keep pursuing it. He had such success in in college at the position that he wanted to play it out until it was over. And now it is privilege, especially when you bring up names like Colin Kaepernick or you bring up names like other untested tight ends who excelled in college and there isn't a spot for them and he's getting one. It is absolutely privilege, and I will not argue against that. He is there because he knows Urban Meyer. He is there because he is a known quantity. But it's also a guy who wants to never wonder what if. It's a guy who very clearly wraps a lot of his identity in being an athlete, and he's going to keep taking swings at that in whatever place he can until it's officially over. And there's a part of me that understands that. And and if it's unfair, okay. But there's a part of me that gets that as a former athlete, that you want to just keep giving it a go. So he's going to give it a go, and we'll see how it goes. That kind of rhymed a little. Freddie Fitzsimmons coming up next. Thanks for hanging out on Spain on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.